Love a rugby league same game multi? Then you've got to check out Picklebet same game multi. Watch your odds and payouts skyrocket when you combine your favorite team's markets like head-to-head, first try scorer, and winning margin. Picklebet, the next-gen betting app and official sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast. What are you really gambling with? For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley here for the Talk and Footy episode of the week, episode number 17 in the Talk and Footy series for season 2023. This week, we have a special guest, Tim O'Connor. Timmy O from the Supercoach Off the Bench podcast, which many of you may have listened to. Tim, you've been on a couple times this year. Welcome back, mate. Good to have you. Thanks very much for having me, Barnsley. Yeah, it's always good to be back here talking footy, mate. Yep, yep. Well, Tim and the rest of the Off the Bench crew talk a lot of super coach, but if you want to listen to some of that, you can tune in for this one. As you all know, we're going to talk some footy. So first of all, we're going to have a look at round 24, and we've got a heap to talk about because last week couldn't get on due to a few technical issues, plus absolutely flat out at work at the moment, which is causing a lot of dramas in the podcast world for me. But this week, we are going to combine a few of the topics and things. NRL round 24, though. We are at the nitty-gritty part of the season, Tim, and we've just gone through a round where I think it's safe to say that there's a few surprises. Uh, One of the things that happens at this point of the year is that you do have some teams inadvertently drop off, and even if it's only subconscious, they certainly throw the towel in a bit. Uh, You've got some teams that are becoming out of contention by the week now, some mathematical chances only, and some also pressing their claims to be solidified in the top four or even the top two, like your Broncos. So, I mean, the first game of the round, I don't think we'll concentrate on it too much, but the Panthers over the Sea Eagles, the Panthers just keep keeping on. The last couple of weeks, they've had solid wins. I actually thought that the Panthers were going to do a lot more in this one, though. And I do wonder whether the solid football that we're seeing for them is going to be able to go up a gear in the finals. And a lot of Panthers fans will probably think I'm being hard on them. I think they're the best team in the competition still, and I think they're going to be in the grand final. But when you're having a look at this game, there was a a try there. They they couldn't have asked for any more. Like when you look at the numbers, they had 53% possession. They completed at 84%. That's what they do, the Panthers. And at the same time, you know, they still only beat Manly by 12 points. And Manly is a side that is struggling hugely. Manly missed 39 tackles themselves. Panthers missed 41, which was pretty bad. But Manly just ended up being 12-point losers when there was a very controversial call where a bomb went up and it looked like a knock-on. The bunker couldn't go back because it was off the play before. So it ended up being called a try when really it never should have been. So that game was really more in the balance than even 12 points. And the Panthers could have lost this one, which I found quite surprising. I thought that they would have absolutely blitzed Manly leading into this run home. Yeah, look, it's it's really interesting, isn't it, mate? I've mentioned this a few times on our podcast over the last, oh, geez, for most of the season, to be honest. The Panthers are just not looking like the same team that they have been for the last couple of years. I've copped a bit of flack for it online. I guess it's very similar to the Roosters. They've got the they've got the squad, they've got the ability. When they play really well, they're amazing, but they're just not for some reason hitting the heights. 
I'm not quite sure what it is. Uh, don't get me wrong. I've got no doubt that Panthers are probably still the best team in the comp. But for most of the season, I've thought, oh, they're just going to do it in a canter and no one will touch them. Now, the way that like my Broncos have been playing, and I'm, I'm sure I've got plenty of shit for this too, but the way the Broncos have been playing, the, the fact that they can just turn on points anywhere in the field at any stage in a game, I'm starting to think if anyone's going to beat them, maybe they might be the team to do it. Uh, but Panthers, for whatever reason, they are definitely not the same team that they've been over the last couple of seasons. I know they've obviously had some uh, some staffing turnover in the uh, in the off season, but they couldn't keep the same sort of top thirty squad complete for the last uh, three years. So look, I get it, I understand, but I'm with you, mate. I think there's something not quite right there, or is it just a case that they're still sitting in second gear and waiting for some decent footy? Yeah, it's it is a bit controversial, but I think the people that you know think that it's controversial need to look at it in relative terms. Like they've been so far ahead of the pack for for a couple of years now that for them to be, you know, ten percent worse this year, if that's the case, they're still ahead of the pack anyway. You know, they were just so far ahead before; yeah. they're just coming back to the pack now. And I think they have because when you're having a look at it, especially with the attack, like the, the Manly Seagulls last game had five line breaks, and the Panthers only manufactured three their attack isn't looking like it is going to put teams to the sword and it isn't looking like attack that's going to be scary or really test defense. It's more of a wear down attack. That's really a well-oiled machine to me, but you're not making mistakes. You've got a good kicking game and you're playing well as a team. That's a premiership force and that's what they are. But is that going to have the X factor? Is that going to be able to scare teams? You know, I would have really, if I was a Panthers fan, wanted to see them beat Manly by 30 on the weekend. Most of their scores uh, generally they're scoring between 20 and 24 points. That's most of their weeks. And that's including sides like the Dolphins and Manly and, and stuff that, that aren't premiership heavyweights. So I, I do think that they are showing a little bit of vulnerability heading in. Of course, they can throw up a second gear and prove us all wrong, which you know they have the talent to do. Interested to see. As far as the other games, the Cronulla Sharks, 36 to 6 winners over the Titans. This was one where it was a victory that the Cronulla Sharks desperately needed. And, you know, they were pretty much on top the whole game. Seven tries to one. Nico kicked pretty poor. It could have been a much bigger uh, scoreline. I've got to say, the, the Gold Coast Titans season, when we're talking at the start of the podcast about teams sort of subconsciously thrown in the towel, they've named a terrible team this week. And on the weekend against the Sharks, they missed 58 tackles, which is absolutely abysmal. When you're getting in the 50s in mixed tackle, missed tackles, it is awful. They got done in a spirited effort the week before against the Warriors, but this this looked like the win that the Sharks needed, but also probably the the nail in the end of the uh, the Gold Coast Titans season. And I, I worry for how competitive they'll be going forward. And the Sharks are probably the opposite. I think this will spur them on. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, mate. I think uh, that was the win that the Sharks really needed. Uh, don't get me wrong. Titans aren't exactly top eight uh, contenders, but you'd like to think with the squad that they've got, they they can put up a decent fight. But yeah, look, they really look like they just threw in the towel in the end. Um, I think the Sharks have got the ability to compete with all the top teams for whatever reason they just haven't. Uh, but look, they've certainly got the they've got the cattle there to to get the job done. I have no doubt at all. Probably some some good performances that were needed for individuals too in the Sharks. Mulatalo had his three line breaks. 
and also two tries. He's been in very indifferent form for at least a month of footy. Jesse Ramian, I thought, had his best game of the season. Wade Graham, who I've been highly critical of and has announced his retirement. Congratulations on a great career. He hasn't been playing great. He played his best game of football I've seen him play in a couple of years. So I think that they'll be buoyed as well by the fact that Nico Hines didn't even have a try assist in this one. He had a line break and that was it as far as the attack goes. He looked close at least six or seven times. He was probably very unlucky not to manufacture a lot more points, but they didn't need him to. Uh, and McInnes has just found another gear now and Rudolph and their middle has been desperately wanting. And all of a sudden these guys might be coming into form. So I think that they're rounding a little bit and certainly in better position than we were a month ago. But you talk about your Broncos, 54 to 10 against the Eels. I actually thought this was a slight danger game for the Broncos because the Eels have got a very, very good record against Brisbane. And the Eels obviously desperately need to win. They've lost that and now their season's on life support. Their four and against got hammered as well, which they couldn't afford. Mitchell Moses, it has to be said, only played half the game. So that definitely hurt them, but it was already out of the out of reach for them as a win. The absolute blitzkrieg that the Broncos threw up in the first 30 minutes, you know, they had three tries, converted, and then right before halftime, they had another one, and all of a sudden, it's 26-0 at halftime. You know, it was all over at the half, and it was just kept going on and on as soon as the game restarted, you know. So it was, by the time Sean Russell scored a try in the 63rd minute, it was well and truly over. Uh, So you'd be pleased with it as a Broncos fan. I think Reese Walsh had a phenomenal game. He was a standout. Uh, for the Eels, they really just didn't have anything. And, and I thought it was a very poor effort from them. Like even as much as Gutherson tries, he, he had no support and I didn't think much came off for him in an unhappy night too. If you're an Eels fan, I, I think it's big cause for disappointment because I don't think that they turned up the way that they needed to. Um, but for the Broncos, great statement game for your team, mate, and minor premiership is beckoning now. Yeah, look, we, to be honest, we're really just hoping that the Panthers slip up at some stage because the Broncos are looking on fire at the moment. The the thing that I really like is, um, from a supporter's point of view, but also just as a fan, the fact that the Broncos are still leaving plenty of points out there as well. Like, Reese Walsh has looked really good, but I think over the last probably month, he's just about botched half a dozen tries on his own. Um, and don't get A lot of balls straight over the sideline for him. Yeah, yeah, is, and, um, and that's what I mean. Don't get me wrong, I'm not criticising him at all. Um, the fact that I actually had this conversation with uh, some of my staff here at school yesterday. Uh, I, I work at a, at a rugby league academy school here in Brisbane, so it was interesting having a bit of a chat with some of them about the generational changes from my generation playing footy in comparison to the ones that they have now. And just the fact that the, the the younger players now, the generation coming through, don't seem to be afraid of trying things. Like Reese Walsh has tried that over-the-top pass half a dozen times over the last few weeks. Sometimes it's come off and sometimes it hasn't. The fact that he's not concerned about just continuously having a crack and trying something all the time. Yeah, he looks like a bit of a goose sometimes when it, it doesn't come off. But, geez, when it does, um, he does well. And the amount of times that they've tried different things, even Reynolds is... Um, I think he's been playing superb football, some of the best footy he's ever played, but he's himself making a few errors here and there as well, uh, Ezra Mam. So I think if the Broncos can fully click for 80 minutes and perform, let's be honest, if they can get anywhere near 100%, the scoreline in any game of football against any team, I think, could be um, a little bit scary. Yeah, I agree. And look, I'd say that's... You probably hit the nail on the head as far as, you know, it seems probably to a lot of people listening a little bit hypercritical to talk anything but praise for the Broncos because they're at the top of the ladder. But when you go into that finals period 
if you've got those mistakes in you, uh, some of the other teams that do step up can tear you apart, and someone like Penrith definitely will. So I think that it's a really key thing that you saw in that game. I will say I thought even the last couple of weeks, but certainly this week, the Broncos' spine, that was one of the best spine performances that I've seen from them. Uh, I'm not a big Walters fan at nine. He scored two tries and played magnificent. Mam had a try, a line break, a line break assist, a try assist. Reynolds ran the show really well, and obviously Walsh had a number of spectacular plays. That's the most complete spine attack that I've seen from the Broncos all year, uh, considering the fact that I'm not, I don't rate Walters at nine, but the last couple of weeks he's really come good. And that's going to be key because I thought they were a bit light in that spine, particularly at the hooker position. So that was good. Uh, the other thing that has to be said, though, is that Parramatta were awful. So can they click and continue to do this against the better sides? We're going to see that in the coming weeks. Talking about against the better sides, the South Sydney Rabbitohs, I think that everybody sort of just has kind of put on the back burner of the results in the last month and said it doesn't matter, the Rabbits are going to be there. Even the most ardent rabbit supporters turned around on the weekend and went, geez, that was a poor performance against the Dragons, 26 to 14. And really, you know, this this Dragon side that got named, they are looking to the future. Their back row of Russell and Burns, that's developing them for next year. Uh, they've got some young guys in that back line still that are making mistakes. That The bench... Uh, Malicia and, and the two Couchmans, you know, they're, they're young guys. You know, it's half this side is youth development now for next year. The South Sydney Rabbitohs, if they're serious about this competition and getting to the grand final, really need to have a crack in this one. And they started off very lethargically. Uh, halfway through the game, you're, you're in the 46 minute after a Ben Hunt try, and you're thinking, the Dragons can win this. And then all of a sudden, the South Sydney season's off, on life support because they've got some tough matchups coming. Everyone assumed they were going to win this. Everyone assumed they were going to be in the eight. And they might have lost this game. So, you know, maybe it's a good wake-up call, but they've had a few of these, and they just haven't come through. You know, you did have guys like Latrell, Campbell Graham, Cody Walker got a nice try. Alex Johnson always scores some points for them. The big names all come through and get the points on the board. But as far as the performance, Tim, I just thought it left a lot to be desired. Yeah, look, I guess it's... Much the same conversation as what we were saying before about with the with the Panthers and the Sharks. We know that they can do it, but for whatever reason, they're, they're just struggling to get out of first or second gear at the moment. Look, the um, it, it was interesting. Look, they've got arguably the best left side attack in the comp, and they kept going right, and they seem to be doing that on a weekly basis. I don't know what's going on with their left hand side, but it is definitely not clicking, especially now with uh, with the trail back. Like, I mean, uh, apart from. Don't get me wrong, I think the big thing that they're missing at the moment is a decent forward pack. Um, They've got arguably one of the worst forward packs in the comp, and I'm sure the halves are struggling with that. But with the amount of fire and power that they've got in that back line, surely they should be putting on a lot more points against a team like the Dragons than than what they did. Like you said, the the Dragons for so much of that game were still in it, um, right up until probably even the last five minutes at any stage it looked like the Dragons could have scored. So... Look, it, it's ugly. Um, they're winning the games that they really have to, but surely the Bunnies should have been putting 50 points on the Dragons in this game, especially with the uh, with the clientele that the Dragons put out. They really did look like like an under-20s and under-23s team or something like that. They were, they were very average, and, but on paper it was just um, the, uh, the squad that they put out was, um, was very second-rate, that's for sure. Yeah, and they, they lost to the Sharks a week before. And it was a, there was a disappointing effort where they were heavy favourites. So, I mean, the last two weeks, it's been disappointing losses. And for me, I think that Latrell's had a couple, a few weeks back now 
he has to fire. He has to lead this team. I hate, I hate the new 2023 term where everyone says you've got to own everything. You've got to own the moments. Didn't own the big moments. Didn't own this. But it's true. I don't like to use the cliches, but it's true. Lachelle's just got to get out there, grab the game by the scruff and own it. He's got to own it. He's got to dominate it. And he's just not doing that yet. And I think that he really needs a push now. Like you can give him a couple of weeks to get back up to speed. But if he can't do that, then they're not going to go anywhere come to September. So they've got to really, they've got to really mow it now. I agree with the Ford thing. I actually think that it has been mentioned. You know, Arrow has been missed for them. He's back now, and he, you know, was a bit there for them on the weekend. But they did start, start Shaquille Mitchell at um, prop. Tavita Totola. You know, they've. He has had a really disrupted season where he's barely played for a number of different reasons and injuries. And they still believe in him so much that they just gave him a, a huge extension this year while he was on the sideline. That's how much they know he's important to the Rabbits. They badly need him back. He might be back next week. We're not sure. Um, but, yeah, I, they've got to start showing a lot more than what they have. I picked them for the grand final based on the last couple of weeks. They're not going to get there. Uh, moving right along. Uh, the Warriors and Tigers, just have, I think you have to say, you know, it's a spirited performance from the Tigers. They went down 30 to 22, playing over in New Zealand. Um, it was a game where in Waikato that you sort of thought the Warriors could go, you know, a 50 to 10 or something like that. I'm sure there was a lot of pick the score punters out there that went for it. And, you know, to the Tigers' credit, I think that they, they gave up two pretty quick tries. They were down 12-0 by the 15th minute, and everyone sort of probably thought, here we go. But then they bounced back with two quick tries themselves. So by the 20th minute, it was all locked up. It was um, went back and forth a little bit until right at the end where really in the last 10 minutes, the game was was put away by the Warriors. Uh, I thought it was fairly spirited by the Tigers. And we're going to talk, you know, about Tim Sheens later on. But do you think it was, you know, good effort, Tigers? You're at least competing? Or do you think it was Warriors a bit complacent, maybe should have been better? Yeah, I don't know. Look, I... Um... Obviously, I do our podcast with uh, with Ross Mann, who's a Tigers fan. He was uh, he was much more impressed with the performance that they put up last week rather than the ones that they have been for the last few weeks. I think they are starting to click. They're obviously just a couple of decent players. I mean, like you, you add Dewey to their squad, and that obviously makes a big difference. I think they're really just a couple of key players short at the moment, but they're certainly trying to work on that for next season. Um, I think the Warriors, maybe that was their... I mean, they weren't ugly, but that was probably their first down game for a while, even though they got the result. So, yeah, look, it, it is an interesting one. Um, I've got no doubt that the Tigers want to win. The uh, the sacking of Sheens, as we'll talk about shortly, was an interesting call. Um, I think that's probably the best football that they've played for a long time. So, yeah, look, I, I don't know. It's um, I, I think there's, the Tigers have still got plenty left in the tank. If they can find it this season, that would be amazing. Roosters 30, uh, Dolphins 14. Uh, the, the Dolphins are rolling truly. Uh, their season's over as far as mathematical chances. There is none for the top eight now. They are naming uh, quite a development side this week with a lot of players with niggling injuries rested. Even on the field last week wasn't great. 30 to 14, but the scoreline probably uh, flatters them a little bit. The Dolphins were leading this one 8-0 at the half. Then the Roosters uh, from the 40th minute onwards went on and scored five tries in a 25-minute period and just put the game to bed. 30 to thirty to eight, they were up, and then the Dolphins scored in the final few minutes of the game when it was well and truly over. So I, as a Roosters fan, uh, I was pretty happy with the performance. We had guys like Nat Butcher have been pretty solid this year. He had three line breaks himself, but Hutch had a man-of-the-match display, and I'm not a big 
Hutchison fan. I don't like starting him at halfback, but Sandon Smith just wasn't doing the job. I think it was a really good adjustment by Robinson. Uh, other times he's been critical, criticised this year by people in the media and certainly fans of not making changes quick enough. He made this change quick enough and Hutchison had his two line breaks, two tries with a massive 12 tackle breaks and and really helped them and made more of a dent than what Sandon Smith has made when he's been in the halves. So that was a nice change. And, and Billy Smith was, and, and Manu, both those centres, uh, are really running rampant on either side. I'm really impressed with Billy Smith the last few weeks. Tedesco's looked a lot more assured, I think, as well. He didn't do a huge amount, but he still contributed to a couple of tries. And uh, I just think that the Roosters have started to click finally. And I, I feel a lot better about watching them at the moment because these are the sort of games that you kind of expect them to win, Tim, but they've been really poor. But the last six weeks of football, I really think that they've been up for the challenge of it. Mathematical chance still. Um, Parramatta dying out is is going to help them. The Roosters need to win each game, but beating the Dolphins last round and then also how they performed the, the rounds before, it, it does give them a little bit of a sniff. So it, it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks for the red, white and blue. Yeah, look, what's going to be the, the most interesting part, mate, is if they can string two really good wins together. Um, I mean, they've got they've got Parra this week, they've got West Tigers next week, and then the Bunnies in round 27. So, look, I, I, obviously that round 27 game is going to be a really interesting one as far as uh, the top eight goes because both teams are going to be trying to squeeze in there. Uh, and then the Parra game this week will will be interesting again. It, it's probably... Uh, like I've come from a from, from a soccer background, I spent a lot of time watching the EPL. It's it's the cliche thing of like a four point game this week. So to put the the, uh, the it's two points that both teams need. If uh, if one wins, then the others obviously got to find an extra two points over the last two rounds. So it's it's an interesting game. Whoever wins this one probably doesn't make the eight. Um, so yeah, look, James Tedesco's been as good as he's been for the last bloody five to ten years. He's obviously been really quiet of late. Whether that's just a case of Father Time starting to catch up with him or not, I'm not really sure. But um, like, yeah, he's he's still doing Teddy things, but certainly not in every set of six. He's certainly not chasing straight up the middle, chasing the forwards as much as he used to be. Um, but yeah, it's when you look at the players that they've got and the fact that so many of them just haven't quite clicked yet. And again, it's a case of like we talked with the Panthers and the Sharks and and some of the others that they're just still stuck in second gear. But Lord knows if the squad that the Roosters have got, if they can find that fourth or fifth, they're, they're going to be pretty tough to beat if they can make that top eight, especially uh, could be the first year where the team in eight squad, whoever jags it, um, maybe has a crack at the grand final. Yeah, it's it's super condensed and it's going to make for a really heavy run the last few weeks for some teams really gunning for it. This this game against Parramatta this week, you're, whoever loses, like at the moment in, on equal points with the Roosters is Parramatta in 10th. And then North Queensland's in ninth on one win ahead. And South Sydney, the same one win ahead in eighth spot. So eight to 11, you know, it's only two points in it. The Roosters for and against is a bit of a concern at minus 84. But if they they, they can put on points against Parra and the Tigers, especially with how they're playing at the moment. Um, and when they do that, all of a sudden, their for and against is going to get back in the positive. So certainly if the Sharks beat the Cowboys this week and the Roosters beat Parramatta, it's going to be very interesting. And I tell you what, Newcastle could easily beat South Sydney this week. And, and then all of a sudden, the three teams in front of the Roosters all cop a loss, and they're all on equal points uh, for that eighth position on a four-way tie on on 28 points. It's um, it's going to be condensed. But as far as some of the other games go, uh, the Storm absolutely blitzed the Canberra Raiders, and the Knights 42-6 to 6 
over the Canterbury Bulldogs. These were two floggings. Uh, I think that both of these, you know, we're not going to spend much time on. I just, I think that the Storm 48 to 6 and 42 to 6 for the Raiders over the, uh, uh, sorry, 42 to 6 for the Knights, uh, they're both running in form. The Knights and the Storm both look like they're really informed teams at the moment. And you could argue they're just as informed as anyone in the competition. Whereas the other two teams are the other way. Like that Bulldogs side, I think the Bulldogs six weeks ago, Tim, you'd expect to have that type of scoreline. But with the personnel they've got back in now, with guys like Kikau coming back and even Burns in the centres and a few of these other boys coming back and healthy, you don't expect to capitulate like they did and to play like that. And the score actually flatters them. I thought they were worse than that. And likewise for Canberra. Canberra's season's on the line at the moment. They're, they're stringing together a lot of losses and they're looking really bad and they're giving up a lot of points. And then all of a sudden, they, they're just getting flogged again. And yes, it's at Amy Park. Yes, it's against the Storm, but 48-2. to two. They, they can't score points, which has been an issue for the Raiders off and on for years now. But letting in those sort of points, you know, the Storm did it easy. I thought the Raiders and the Dogs were abysmal, but at least the Dogs didn't have much to play for. The Raiders really did. Yeah, the Raiders have been um, a team that I hate to watch. My older brother supports them, so it's a bit of a sore point as a family, uh, being the Broncos fan, and, and they've got a bit of a love-hate relationship there. But, look, the um, the Raiders, oh, I guess it's just <laughs> it's another example of one of these teams that, that They've looked good for so long and, and they're just not performing. Look, they um they really could be in big trouble, especially with the floggings that they've been getting. That Those points for and against, if they end up in that tie with the uh, the four teams down below them, they're going to be in really big trouble because I think the for and against that they've got is pretty ugly. This game was really interesting in the fact that I think Raiders had actually won the last five games against the Storm or the last five games at Amy Park or something or other. So... Look, it um, it's didn't go the way that I thought it would. I thought the Storm would win, but I certainly didn't think they were going to put 50 points on the Raiders. So I, I didn't think there'd be that much disparity between the two, especially when they're in a very similar spot on the table at the moment. Yeah, well, Ricky was absolutely livid post-match. He didn't even want to talk about it. He just, he, you could see how angry he was. They missed 52 tackles, and they only completed 67% possession, uh, 67% completion rate. Like, against the Storm and 42% possession because of their errors and their penalties conceded. Like, it was just a terrible performance. And uh, I, I I don't even know what Canberra Raiders team is going to show up this week. We need to move on to the next topic after round 24. And before we do, I do need to mention the great sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast in Picklebet. Picklebet.com. Go and have a look. They're a great place to go and have a punt with. If you like having a punt, check them out because this week especially – Another promo. They've got so many promos that they put on every week, and this week it is for the Paramount Eels versus the Roosters game. You can bet on first try scorer, and if your first try scorer comes in as second try scorer, they'll pay you out as a winner. For me, I'm getting on Daniel Tupo. $10 for first try scorer. If you want to compare that to some of the other market, $8.50 on Sportsbet. You're getting $10 at Picklebet. What are you doing? Go jump on picklebet.com now. There. Phenomenal with their odds. They're great with their promos. And this week, check the T's and C's, but that promo on the Roosters-Eels game is gold on first try score, all over Daniel Tupo at 10-1. to 1. And make sure when you do sign up, you create an account and use the affiliate code ALLSTARS, or one word, ALLSTARS. When you sign up, there'll be a spot that says affiliate code. Pop in ALLSTARS there. Hit apply, and that way you'll, you'll be signed up with Picklebet, but they'll know that you're one of our listeners and they'll take great care of you. Picklebet.com, go jump on and have a punt today. Always think, is this a bet that you really want to place? For free and confidential support, you can call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. 
Right. So the meaty one, Tim, the last really all season, the decisions in rugby league have been baffling by the officials. The consistent, inconsistent decisions ruining rugby league. The last couple of weeks, we have had some absolute belters. Last week, uh, or the week before, I should say, round 23, we had the send-off round where Graham Ennisley fronted on Monday and said there was no instructions given to anyone to send people off. They all deserved it. Back the decision of the referees to the hilt. We had Nathan Brown sent off. It was an abysmal send-off. It was arguably not even detaining the bin. Uh, we had Fodawaker sent off. And that one as well, whilst there was a bad injury involved, he very much remained upright to me and ran into him and they ran into each other. Now, yeah, you might send him to the bin and people would live with that, but a send-off, very different. Now, there's been, most people have thought that they were both atrocious decisions, um, but in saying that, uh, there were some people that sort of argued, well, they should be send-offs. Even if you think they should have been, Tim, we've had one send-off all year until last week and then last weekend we end up with a few. You know, it was just... There was another one that I can't even remember. But then you have the other decisions as well, where like in round 24, the round that's just gone, we spoke about how Souths got really lucky. And one of the contentious ones was everybody, everybody thought the Cody Walker try there was offside off the kick. And it looked clear as day on the coverage. Every broadcaster said, oh, yeah, it's going to come back a no try. And they looked at it and looked at it and then said, no, it's a try. And again, Annesley is fronted on Monday and defended the decision with some obscure different camera angles that he thought said that it was a, it was a good call. I looked at those camera angles. It looked closer, but it didn't look like there was two feet behind the kicker at all. So I am just baffled at the moment that, that we have consistently inconsistent decisions every week and consistently Graham Annesley keeps fronting and saying that this is the right way the game should be going. And I, I every week there seems to be, at least two or three that are absolutely baffling. And we're at a point now, Tim, where games go for longer than they ever have before. There was all this talk about speeding up the game and everything at stoppages. They go for longer than ever. And I'm all for supporting referees and saying, if I was in Annesley's spot, I would support referees that are making live calls and say it was live, it was at speed, whatever. But when you've got bunkers that are taking two, three minutes to look at stuff and then making the wrong decision, it, it, surely it just can't keep happening. Surely it's ruining the game. Yeah, look, mate, I absolutely agree. There's always the argument now that maybe we, it's time to get rid of the bunker. I think obviously the hardest part is with so much money in, uh, in gambling and things like that that are involved in the sport at the moment, it's really hard to do that. But, yeah, look, it's obviously Annesley's job to front the media on the Monday morning and go, look, uh, I support the decisions. It's it's what every good boss would do in, in any workplace but, geez, mate, the bunker, the way that they've been botching some of them. Look, even just, just the simple ones, like you, you've you got uh, the head-high tackles and things like that, and what's a swinging arm and not a swinging arm. We've had the, um, the I mean, we've had the chicken wing for ages. We had the, the head injury issues and all the sorts of stuff that we've had over the last few years. But you have a look. You can have the same situation in two games back-to-back and have two completely different outcomes, and that's what drives fans absolutely bonkers at the moment. Um, Jerome Luai was another one. It's like his third offence or something this season where there was some kind of foul play involved and he's still just copping fines. Um, whereas you get someone like, um, look at Matt Lodge or JWH or Big Nelson or some of those guys that are doing exactly the same thing as guys like Luai have done. I understand he's a half. He's not a 120-kilo uh, monster. 
But when you look at some of the things that, that are going on, the swing and arm come through. Uh, we talked about that one a few weeks ago when I was on when, during origin period. The late tackle with the swinging arm, the pushing a ref. Like There's lots of decisions like that throughout the year. And don't get me wrong, that's only one player. But there's a lot of little things like that where you go, how come this bloke can get away with the same things that these other guys are doing on a week-to-week basis? They've got the bunker in place who can rule on foul play and they're just not hitting the same consistent marks from week to week, let alone from game to game on the same day. Drives me bonkers. I think that the worst part is the explanations provided. Like, I just don't think, I just think that they lack any type of rugby league feel or any semblance of common sense. Like, and again, when you look at some of the really bad ones, just in the last two weeks, you had one where we had David Fafita, you know, get up and, and push, who was it, Nakore across the face, and then Nakore just gives him a tiny tap that was actually less than what Fafita did to him, yeah. and he gets he gets sent to the bin. And that yeah. wasn't even striking. You know, it was barely anything. And Fafita didn't even move when it happened. That's how light it was. Like, it was a it was a pat on your face that you caress your lover in bed with. Like, what what is that? You're sending someone to the bin for that? And then all of a sudden um, you get these excuses that come up and explanations, like for the fact with Jerome Luai, He's had, he's gone in with a shoulder charge technique and hit somebody in the face and directly in the face. And the explanation is, oh, well, there's not much force in that. And it's like, hang on. <laughs> we had Nakore <laughs> gently caress someone's facial hair and get sent to the bin. And then somebody else didn't get anything. And they've gone with a shoulder to the face, but there wasn't enough force in that to send him or do anything. It's just remarkably ridiculous in the explanations. And unfortunately, because there's no consistent criteria, there's no consistent explanation, even if you disagree, you know, with what Annesley says in the NRL decisions, you at least know what's coming. Whereas you hear someone like Aaron Woods on Triple M recently, and he said, mate, we don't know what's going to happen. When a tackle happens, we just wait and see and hope to God that we don't get sent because we don't know. And, and that's the worst spot to be in, isn't it, Tim? Because at least if you disagree with where the game is headed, you understand and can expect the decisions that are coming. But at the moment, you've just got no idea. But even Preston's tackle on the weekend, like I thought that one was pretty ugly. And don't get me wrong, he ended up getting two weeks and uh, and 10 minutes in the bin at the time. But I, like I, I thought that was as bad if not worse than than the Carrigan one last year and he got time for that too so like when it's don't get me wrong I, I understand that they're they're trying to make a tackle but I think the second that their legs leave the ground uh and they're swinging off the back of the player in the way that the Preston was like that that had every part of really ugly look all over it and when guys that weekend had already been sent for longer than just 10 minutes I, I don't like. I really expected four or five weeks for that Preston tackle. Uh, the fact that there was history there and everything else, I, I the mind boggles at, at how his was judged differently to some of the other ones who've been sent for longer. I, I, I don't know. I, it's a perfect example of consistent inconsistencies, mate. It's um, it, it's hard to get your head around as a fan. But like you said, Woodsy was saying all over Triple M on the weekend that that the players themselves don't know um, when they go in for a tackle or they go in for for a hit up. They just—it's almost a case if you close your eyes and hope for the best. Yeah, and it's the other thing that he alluded to as well, and what I was talking about before too is that it's stuff being made up on the fly, and you can't just make rules up and criteria up on the fly. So we had one with Sutton where, and with the Nathan Brown send off the week before he said it, but it came up a couple of times where it was you've come out of the line and you've gone up with speed and intent, and it's like, hang on. 
you're allowed to run as fast as you want on the field. And yeah. your intent as a forward, really, anyone 1-17, to 17, your intent should be to belt the other guy legally. But your intention's always there to hit everyone as hard as you can. Now, maybe some fans balk at that, but it's true. You play rugby league, you're hitting everyone as hard as you can. And that's what you're doing because you're trying to inflict legal damage. You're trying to dominate a tackle and you're allowed to be aggressive. Now, you can't automatically just bring this interpretation out that says, hang on, if you run out of the line fast now, you've got intent. Or if you go in to hit someone hard, you've got intent. That is absolute rubbish. And it's just a made-up interpretation that came out of nowhere that was used to send someone to the bin. You just can't make this stuff up. You've got to have criteria. You've got to have standards. You've got to have guidelines. And if players don't understand it, if fans don't understand it, and you're constantly saying inconsistencies in your explanations about what they are, then there is none. And unfortunately, that's where we are at the moment. We need to go on because that's not even the the spray of the week for this week, Tim. So we need to talk about Tim (laughs) Sheens. Tim Sheens is gone. I think that the writing was always going to be on the wall. Um, Benji Marshall's obviously there in the wings and everything else. How do you see the Tim Sheen's uh, walk-away job or sacking, depending on who you talk to? Yeah, look, it is it is a strange one. I mean, he was contracted for the whole season. The whole deal right from the word go was he was going to be there for the year. The backup plan was always in place. The, the um, Benji and Robbie Farrer would step in next year. So it was like the, the boys doing their apprenticeship, I guess you'd say. Uh, and that was the whole idea. They'd do it under the, the master tradesman of Timmy Sheens this year, pick up as much knowledge and understanding as they could to then fully take over the reins next year. It, it is strange that they've let him go this early. Is it a case of the club itself or um, or the leaders behind the club want to now see if that's the right thing to do? Maybe the fact that the results are there and the two boys have already had their hat in the ring as far as um, giving the coaching advice and things like that, and the Tigers are still not producing the results. So is it a case of, look, you've got three weeks to show us that you guys could do the job because Tim Sheens couldn't, uh, and then if you cop three abysmal floggings over the next three weeks, do they move on in the off-season and find somebody else? That's probably one way of looking at it, or is it really just a case of maybe Benji and Robbie were sat down and said, look, what, what do you think, um, and whether or not they sort of said, look, uh, Tim's still running the show. We're just doing as we're told in the background. There's a few things we'd like to change, but we're not the boss. So maybe that's more a case than anything else. And and their hands, they felt they were a little bit hand-tied. So it, it will be interesting to see how things go from here. Look, Tim Sheens is a great coach. He's done everything in the game. He's, um, he's coached all levels. So hats off to him. He's probably just going to whittle off back into retirement, I'd imagine. Yeah, I thought it was a bit of a bizarre decision, really. Like, if, if there was a year and a bit left, then I understand it more. But the fact that there wasn't, you know, it's, I just sort of think there's only three rounds left of the season. So, I mean, why not just see the season out? Because the other thing, too, is that you're, you're a club in the Tigers that, at the moment, you just kind of want to hide in the corner. Like, you're the guy at the party that's a shy introvert that got made to go, and you want to just find a dark corner to sit in where no one's going to notice you. That's the Tigers at the moment. And anything you do is going to make someone talk about you and speak to you and you're going to have to interact and you're going to have to cop it. And, and, you know, sacking your coach, it's going to put you back in the media spotlight. It's going to put you back in the talking at the water coolers and it's just going to highlight the terrible season that you've had. With three rounds to go, do you really need to bother? I just don't think you do. In saying that, I don't think Sheen's has done a good job at all. And there's been some excuses made for him about the front office. The front office has been bad forever, but he's gone into a job with the front office as the head of football. And then he's built basically what he's gone into to coach. So 
I think there's got to be some accountability there. And, you know, it was his decision-making. He knew what was going on. He decided to take a coaching job he probably never should have taken. So I, I love Tim Chance too. I thought he was a great coach, but the game has unfortunately probably passed him by. And, and it's it's good for the Tigers to move on. I, I just don't know how good it is for anyone to do it with three rounds left in the season. Yeah, look, like I said before, I really think it's probably just a case of uh, show us what you can do for the next three weeks and then we can work out what we really need to build on over the next six months uh, coming into January next season with pre-season. So, look, I, I wish uh, Benji and Robbie all the, the very best. I think the players that they were, um, hopefully they can get the best out of this Tigers outfit. But, yeah, look, they still have a long way to go, don't they? A very long way to go. Uh, and we're going to – got an interesting listener's corner question that's going to delve into the coaching as well so it's going to come up a bit later too but we do have a bit of a positive one for your broncos mate big Payne Haas has re-signed excellent re-signing uh around 1.2 million a year it looks like it's going to be at uh and look i think that that's it's good uh under the old cap i think it's too high uh, but that's going to put him you know under the old cap probably about 950,000 or something like that and i think that that was fair i do think that he's the best front row in the game i don't think there's anyone better and there's been some, you know, interesting discussion on do you pay that much for props because they don't really change the game. I'm a bit in the middle about it. I don't, I don't think that you do a lot of the time. But when it's the top ones, whilst you might not see them directly change the game, the platform that they lay, the meters that they make, the motor that Payne Haas has and the work that he gets through, it puts the team in a position to succeed. So all the stuff that does come off, you have to give some of the credit to the guys like like Payne. In other aspects, though, certainly if you know you're a fifth or sixth best, you know, front rower in the comp, and if you're on eight hundred and fifty grand or something, that that's not great investment money. But I think the Broncos had to re-sign him, and as a Broncos fan, I'm sure you're pleased about it. Yeah, look, it, it obviously dragged on for much longer than I think what most Broncos fans or, or just NRL fans really wanted it to. And all the side stories that came out throughout the whole process was pretty average. Um, some nasty stuff came out in the media, but it was always a different story about why he wanted to go elsewhere or why he wanted to to go out to the open market. Um, things about questioning whether or not uh, the Broncos could look after him long-term, as in life after footy, was something that came out uh, later on. But it's interesting. All the great Broncos players that the club have had over the years are still working for the Broncos. So... I would like to think, like some of the Sydney clubs that, that really look after some of their greats, you would like to think that the, the Broncos are all going to be always going to be there for a player like Payne Haas. Um, I guess he's got a lot of family issues outside of the game that he had to think about, and especially, uh, strangely enough, five minutes after the Payne Haas signing issue came out, then there was a, a deal thing in the media about his, uh, his older brother with a, a drug charge and things like that. So, so that's never nice to hear. Um, which then sort of made me think a little bit more about, look, I can understand why his number one priority would maybe not be on the football field, but life after football. How does he break the cycle and get himself out of the situation that the rest of his family seems to be in? Um, and how does he provide a better life for himself long term rather than getting involved in the sorts of stuff that uh, that other members of the family are? So, look, as a, as a fan um, and a member with $1.2 million a season, I know a lot of people are saying you only pay that to your halves or fullback. But, look, I think the things that the guy does on the field, when you look at, what was it, six years ago, seven years ago now, that, that Jason Tomalolo was given a million bucks a season. And at that stage, everyone sort of seemed to think that a million bucks a season for 10 years is probably good business for both people. I think the fact that Payne's going 1.2 over the next three years 
Um, I think it's probably good business for both people. We did talk about this on our uh, NRL Supercoach Off the Bench podcast on Wednesday night, and and we had much the same conversation that it's um it really is a case of I think he does things that no other forwards in the game can do, or they can do, but certainly not as often. I think he's as he's as much of an influence as probably maybe even Adam Reynolds to that Broncos team or Reese Walsh. I think he does the same sort of things, but just does different things, obviously. Um, so, yeah, look, it's, I understand it. As a fan, I love it. Uh, I'm glad he's staying. It didn't paint a nice picture the whole way through the process, but I'm glad he's here for next year. Yeah, I thought the process was strange and the things that sort of came out about, you know, why it was being, uh, you know, not done and dusted, it didn't really make sense. And I think there was a lot of speculation, probably a bit of pressure that wasn't really needed. But at the end of the day, the result was good for both parties. Uh, a bit different to the other re-signings that we saw. So certainly David Fafita re-signing with the Titans. That's a massive coup. I think that they've done great getting him in and keeping him for a few more years. Uh, I can't believe that he's someone who keeps coming off contract lately. The last couple few years, he's been off contract a couple of times and there's been question marks about whether you pay it for him or not. Oh, yeah, absolutely do. Great work from the Titans on that one. As far as Tino goes, you know, he, he could be argued as the best prop in the game now. He's certainly a leader of the club to his club captain. And I don't like that signing whatsoever. Not the signing of Tino. I think that they had to re-sign him as well. But a 10-year deal, like, it's just absolute madness, Tim. I have jumped up and down for over a decade about how the NRL is in the dark ages with the fact that they have no contract rules or whatever. It is absolute yeah. Wild West stuff to go... Here's your salary cap number. It's $12.25 million. Go crazy. You are asking for disaster. And time and time again, we have clubs that put themselves in positions where they're in trouble uh, and, you know, everyone whinges about it or whatever. Some of the fault is always on the NRL. And the Jason Tomalolo deal, I tell you what, you know, it's the first five years was really good. The last five isn't going to be real good. You know, he's pretty much a bench middle now, you know, like and on, on a million a year. It, it can work out a lot worse than that as well. You know, we are going to get one of these deals eventually where someone is going to go, I'm going to sign this bloke for 15 years. And people will laugh, but 10 years ago, people laughed about 10 years. Someone will do it if you let them. And yeah. it is at the moment allowed that I could say, I'm going to pay someone $1.2 million for 15 years. And inadvertently, that's going to cripple a club, but it's going to be allowed. And at the same time, Tino, for instance, in three years' time, could do his ACL and never be the same player again. And he'll be a bench forward and then all of a sudden they're destroyed for the next seven years. You know, it's it's remarkable that we're allowed to do this. And people will say, well, what else could you do, Barnsley? I'll tell you what you can do. If you're a professional forward-thinking sporting organisation, then you look around the globe and you adopt things like what the NBA and the NFL does in America, where you have rules and regulations and processes and criteria on how you're allowed to sign players. And one of those is maybe the max deal that anyone can offer is four years. And in rugby league, it probably should be. And then you have a max amount of money because you don't want someone to come along Tim and say you know what to get Tino in a small market team that no one wants to go to like the West Tigers I've got to give him two million a year and you know someone actually does that you know make it 1.5 is the max that you can give anyone save yourself the trouble because at one point whether it's this Tino deal or someone else it's going to destroy a club and it's going to bring it all to a head yeah look it's and, and that's exactly right mate you, you have a look at it now with the the Tomalolo deal you talk to most Cowboys fans and they'd be quite happy to let him go. There was talk at the start of the season about the Cowboys actually letting him go. The problem was obviously his salary and who can afford to pick him up for that. So that's the biggest problem now is the hands are tied and he's pretty much stuck there. 
So sooner or later, we've already seen the decline of his um, his ability on the field. Don't get me wrong, he's he's still a great player, but is he the is he the pain Haas that the Broncos have now that 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 uh, Tom has been for the Cowboys for the last ten, well, basically the best part of ten years now. But look, he's he's still stuck there, and even if he changes club, who's going to pick him up with the injuries that he's got at the moment and uh, that he's had over the last twelve or eighteen months? And is he the same damaging player that he was? Nothing like it. It's um, it's it's a tough one. I think it's probably great business for Tino to put himself out there for for ten years and and to take the cash. Is a oh, good phenomenal for Tino. Him and his manager should be you know going on holidays, drinking cocktails next week. They have <laughs> it's great I, great work I, for them. I absolutely guarantee his manager is, and I think that's part of that's <laughs> the biggest part of the problem now. It's like the um the transfer fees and things like that in in the the English Premier League. Like, and what was it? Like someone said the other day, Mbappe going to Saudi Arabia was going to be whatever the hell it was. It was half a billion dollars or something. Transfer. Yeah, 600, 600 million or something, yeah. I don't care what you do. There's there's no universe where that amount of money is satisfactory for anything. Like if you, you're talking, you could go and buy, for that amount of money, you can go and buy half the Premier League teams. Like it's just ridiculous. It's um. There's no player that's worth that. There's no. I'm not convinced that even an NRL player is worth a million bucks a season. But that's a whole other topic on itself. Um, obviously, they've got the injuries and things like that. It's a high impact sport, but the money's there to, to sponsor it and look after it. So take it while you can. I get it, but yeah, like you said, mate, a, a club is going to be absolutely crippled at some stage in the next, probably in the near future. Because I think as the NRL talks about expansion all the time, I think these players are going to be harder and harder to get. And then clubs will just throw more and more money at them. Yeah, you've you've got to protect clubs from themselves. And as the NRL, it's your responsibility, and you're not doing that if you're allowing contracts go for ten years and stuff in a game like rugby league. And I'll finish off on one other thing. This is an age of concussion and everything now as well. You know, and even with other stuff where we have crackdowns, I'll throw it out there that you know, at the moment we don't know what the league is going to do, what the referees and officials are going to do. Tino's been in trouble with raising his arm and it's been the flavour of the week for the last four weeks. What if next week, all of a sudden, every time his arm's up, he's getting penalised and then suspended? We saw Craig Smith, the old front rower for the Dragons, run out of the game for how his running style was with lifting his knees. We saw Radley in my roosters having to change his game so much now that even though he still cracks penalties and stuff, he's just a different player because he can't play the same way anymore. And his value is half as much now to the Roosters because he just can't be the same sort of player he was. That could happen to Tino next year. It's just madness. But let's talk about shining lights in the NRLW because that's something nice to talk about. NRLW round four just finished. We didn't get to talk about round round three either. But I tell you what, round three, I've just I've got to talk about your Broncos centre. Do you, do you want to talk about it? Because, Jesus, it was an amazing performance from her. Mele Hafunga, she last week scored a nice try against the Parramatta Eels, but the week before, big Mele running right in the centres. She had four tries, five line breaks, 15 tackle breaks. 40% of her runs led to a line break. It was just phenomenal. And it was just one of those performances where it was like, it doesn't matter whether you support the men's rugby league or you, you like to watch English rugby league or you watch women's, just as pure rugby league to see someone dominate on the field like that, like she did for that Broncos side in round three, such a massive performance. And you don't see that sort of dominance very often. It reminded me the NRL, the NRL equivalent to that NRLW performance by Melee 
the equivalent was Talakai with that half against Manly last year for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, it, it's a very similar comparison, mate. It's, it's well done. It's much the same as um, uh, what's his name from the to be from the Warriors um, played on the wing there for him. It's, yeah, look, the uh, um, big man who Vanderbilt. You remember? Yeah, no, Harold Har- Conrad Harold. So oh, Connie Harold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like Sherman Tank. Just get out, throw me the ball, and just let me run at him like a Jonah Lomu type thing. Yeah, look, mate, it's um, she's been playing some amazing football. We've always had the comparison of uh, a particular player looks like men playing against boys, and obviously it's a it's a strange analogy when you're talking about the women's game. But but that's just that's exactly what it looked like. It looked like somebody who was just so much bigger, better, faster, stronger than everybody else on the field. It's like throw it to them because they're just going to score. It's like uh, one of the under six games where you just see that one kid that's so much bigger, better, stronger, faster than everybody else, and that's the game plan. Just give it to them and just stand, <laughs> get out of the way. It's absolutely sensational, and also because she looks like a front rower, but she's playing out in the centres. She just causes absolute havoc out there, and she seems to have uh, a decent amount of speed and stuff to be able to do it out there. It's one of the best performances I've seen of the year from any NRLW player. A couple of other highlights from round four, though, going to last week. Tamika Upton for the Knights, um, she had a huge performance, 249 run metres, eight tackle busts, a try and assist, which probably got the Knights a win over the Titans, which, um, you know, they were heavy favourites, but they, they lose to the Titans on the weekend without Tamika Upton. Did you manage to catch that one or many of the NRLW games? No, I've only seen some of the highlights, mate, as I've had a, a busy couple of weeks on with school, uh, with work. But, yeah, look, the, the, uh, it was a really good game. She played unbelievably well, 250-odd run metres, um, like eight tackle busts. That's amazing. And that's amazing at, at any level of, of rugby league. Uh, so, yeah, she certainly needed to be commended for that. There's a couple of roosters too. I loved watching the roosters go in the weekend. Uh, they absolutely put them to the sword. I think it was 36 to 12 in the end. They absolutely ran right. And they needed that type of win too because they've been pushed a little bit the opening couple of rounds. Jamie Frassart from the roosters on the wing there had a, had a um, I think she had four tries, I'm pretty sure. Um, the first time since 2018, just the seventh in NRLW history, uh, had a double before half time. And one of the things as well as it with her, it wasn't just getting the ball and scoring. There was one or two like that, but she had a couple of big line breaks where she had girls just dragged around and fallen off her and stuff. And some of those were decisive tries as well. And Isabel Kelly, she's just an absolute monster. She's my favorite player in the NRLW at the moment. I love watching Isabel Kelly play. She's just so strong and her lower body strength. She's very deceptive because Kelly looks reasonably small in a lot of ways. Um, But she had 283 meters on the weekend with three line breaks and a try and five tackle busts. And she just she just breaks the line so easily, and even when she does it, her post contact meters, she, her leg drive is just amazing, and just I, I just love watching Isabel Kelly play. So for me, those two Roosters girls were absolutely outstanding. Yeah, look, anytime a player at in, in well any rugby league makes the best part of three hundred meters in run meters, it's um it's certainly something to you stand up and watch the way that she plays is just unbelievable. Like you said. Had uh, the, the leg speed. She had people just bouncing off her, falling off her. She just kept on pushing. And, uh, yeah, it was obviously really hard to tackle. But some of the ladies in the uh, in the WRL, the, um, just the, I guess, yeah, like I said, I come back to the comparison of, of men playing against boys, and that's exactly what some of it looks like. It's There's some of them that, that just have the unbelievable amount of skill and um 
just natural sporting ability, I guess. It's uh, it, it is really good to watch. It's been impressive. It's it's much like the Matildas over the last few days or the last couple of weeks. It's it's been really good to watch some of the the female sport that's coming out at the moment and the athletic ability of some of these ladies playing our games. Yep, a hundred percent. And one of the the last one that I'll pinpoint as well is I thought it was quite a highlight. Uh, the Raiders are actually in third position, and they're they're three wins and one loss, which is the same as everyone. Every team's had a loss in their NRLW. They were meant to be down near the bottom of the ladder. They certainly went, weren't meant to be in third place at this point. And three one's great, but they're being led by their co-captain, who on the weekend was great as well. Number thirteen, Big Samaya Taufa. Taufa was outstanding again. Raiders co-captain and 45 tackles with 15 carries for 200 metres and four tackle busts and an amazing try from a middle forward. Just power and work rate that she's got. And for the last two weeks, she's had the same sort of man in the match performance where she's led from the front. So for a new side to have someone like her in um, is phenomenal and she's really led the way and I thought she was outstanding on the weekend with a great try. Let's look at something positive again. Positive pitch. We're down to the the final few segments that we have every week. Positive pitch, Tim, is where we have something positive that we're going to talk about because there is some uh, tendency to go negative in rugby league these days. And one of the positive things for me is the return of some sort of international schedule. Uh, It's felt like that we just haven't had one. And now we have unveiled a schedule for a six-team men's and women's Pacific Championships. Uh, I think it's fantastic. It's going to happen at the end of the NRL season. Uh, and it's something that I think that we really, really needed because to me, um, it's also in New Zealand and Port Moresbury, by the way, which is great to to bring it to those couple of countries too. But to me, Tim, I, I've been pretty critical the last couple of years at how we've sort of put International Rugby League on the back burner. And I think that this is a step in the right direction. And I think the NRL is starting to look at it a bit more. We've uh, got Australia, we've got Samoa, we've got New Zealand, we've got PNG, we've got the Cook Islands, um, we've got Tonga. There's going to be a huge amount of fans where we're playing these games as well that are going to want to see in the Pacific Islands. I just think it's phenomenal that we've actually got this locked in um, where we've got all this international footy because one of the great things I loved about the origin period that went away in the last couple of years is that we decided to axe that that mid-season rep weekend where everyone not playing Origin for that weekend was going to play for Samoa or Tonga or Fiji and so forth, and we're going to have those rep games. You don't have that anymore. And, like, it's great to see Australia play, but you also want to see the other internationals, and it looks like we're going to have that again from the end of this year. Yeah, look, like you say, Matt, it really is something positive for the game. The other thing that I was really interested to hear is they're actually going to put back on another um, another tour of Great Britain, which they haven't done in the NRL for a very long time. Yes. You talk to some of the old boys like um, uh, Alf and Ricky and Wally and all those guys. Like they used to just live for it. It was once every two years, I think. Um, the the Poms would come over here, and then in the alternate year that we'd go over there, and and just uh, they reckon it was some of the best times that they'd ever had uh, as professional players coming through the ranks um, and just busting your ass to get that Kangaroos jersey. Obviously, everyone still does, but. With so many of these other countries coming through now, it's um, there's always a question about allegiances and things like that. I think that's the main reason for that. It's probably got a lot to do with the fact that the international footy just hasn't been there. It's great to have these one-off games and, and that sort of thing. And State of Origin is really, well, it's obviously only three games a year. But I think it's going to be interesting now that if there is the, the full program of international games every season, 
And at the end of each season, it's going to be interesting to see if these debates about nationalities and uh, place of origin and uh, of birth and things like that are going to keep continuing. Because I think sooner or later, these players are going to have to stand up and go, right, I'm absolutely definitely playing for this country and this is the only team I'm going to play for from now on. So it's, uh, it's a way forward for rugby league. I think it's great for the fans. I think it's great for the players as well, uh, getting to play more international standard games. And I think it's going to be much better in the long run for all these developing teams coming through as well. And also, if the, if the NRL does want to go to expansion, which they keep talking about all the time, uh, then I think going international is, is having more of a focus on international is definitely the way to do it. It gives those fringe players an opportunity to play against much better footballers. And, and as we know with any sport, mate, if you want to get better at a sport, you've got to play with better players. 100%. And the pathways and everything that it's going to create is going to be hugely important as well. Good on the NRL for getting on board with it, although the government was pushing it as well. But uh, the NRL is the best rugby league competition in the world, has a responsibility to um, to respect international rugby league and support it. Listener's Corner. Uh, this one was really interesting. So I was chatting with a few rugby league fans and the question came up, Tim, do elite players really make the best coaches? And I don't think they do. And I argued they didn't. And it's all come to the forefront now because we've obviously got Benji Marshall, an all-time great of rugby league, stepping into the shoes of a head coaching role shortly for the Tim Sheens at the Tigers. And I made the comment that to me, I, you know, it's it's remarkable all the time when we have these really great, smart, fantastic, even immortal players, and people just automatically anoint them as someone who could easily be a successful coach if they just went and jumped into a job. But when the reality is the facts say it's not the case. We've had a lot of players who were phenomenal players not be great coaches. And at the same time, when you look at the best coaches ever, you know, you've, at the moment in the modern era, you've got guys like that are still going around, Wayne Bennett, uh, Craig Bellamy, Robinson at the Roosters. These were solid role players. None of them were stars at NRL level at all. And that's fine, but they've made sensational coaches. Whereas you look at some sensational players and they, you know, have had very short-lived coaching careers and won't ever go back to them. Uh, and I made the comment, you know, I think it does make a lot of sense when you think about it. Because to me, uh, if you you can be a rugby league player and know exactly what needs to be done on the field and what's going to be successful or what's going to score points and everything else, but you just don't have the talent to pull it off. And that's so many of these guys that end up being great coaches. You know, it's not that they didn't know what they needed to do to be a great player, to be an elite player, to be a legend. They just didn't have the talent to do it. But it's in their head. It's just not in their physical ability. They can tell guys to do it. They can put together game plans to do it. They can certainly tell people what they need to do. And if they're working with that elite physical talent, you know, they can get the best out of them because they sometimes know exactly what needed to be done when they were playing. They just couldn't do it themselves because they weren't as talented as a Benji Marshall or a Brad Fittler or Darren Lockyer or all these other greats of the game. So to me, being an elite player or not never makes a difference as far as whether you're going to be a great coach or not. In fact, I think that we've got a lot of data to say if you're an elite player, a lot of the time you don't make a good coach. Yeah, I think attitude's always got to have a lot to do with it as well, mate. You can be the, the most gifted player on the planet, and that's just it's just as realistic in any sport. But you can be an absolute complete knob. You can be gifted and talented to the wazoo, and it's great to do it for 80 minutes, but can you do it for five days a week or seven days a week? I think that's got a lot to do with coaching. I've done a lot of coaching myself uh, in various different sports. And, look, it's it's I think when it comes down to coaching, it's more – 
looking for the finer details, but you're also looking for the finer the finer points, not just in one player's game, but you're looking across the park. Whereas I think you look at guys like um, oh, some of the players that you mentioned, they're, they're amazing in their individual position uh, and know what to do in their individual position. But then when you've got to try and coach 17 guys or 30 guys uh, around the park, I think that is a like it's it's a very different type of thing. Um, I think when you look at it as well, the the drive, like a lot of players have skill and ability because some of them work really, really hard at it. They may not be the most talented player on the field, but they absolutely bust their ass week in, week out to be the best tackler or, or be the best runner that they possibly can be. Whereas you've got other guys that just have the natural God-given talent and ability and maybe their attitude's not there. We have these arguments all the time about guys like Latrell Mitchell. God-given talent, but every time you look at him, if he's the first game he came back from injury, I think he had 16 runs in his first game back, which was a game high for not only this season, but also last season. Since then, I think, what did he have last week? I'm not 100% sure, but I think most of the way through the game, he'd had five runs or something. So how do you go from 16 runs one week and, and play really well to five runs the week after and look really average again all of a sudden? So, look, I think it's much the same thing. You can have all the skill and ability in the world, but being able to run a whole team instead of being able to run just yourself and get yourself through your game day situation, I think that's very different. Yeah, there's differences as well between a, a an on-field footy IQ when you're playing to a to a footy IQ as a coach. And there's a lot to do in that coaching role, which you alluded to as well, with managing people, with having leadership, with having a high degree of intelligence as well. And you know, not everybody's going to have that just by being a good player. And you don't need to. You know, it is it has obviously parts that are transferable skill sets from being a player to being a coach but not all of it. There's a lot of skill sets that you need as a as a really good coach that you don't need as a player. Uh, moving along, spray of the week, second last segment. Everyone thought that we already got there at the start. We did not. Six agains. I'm going to go to town on six agains at this point because let me give you some numbers, Tim. Six agains in the last month of footy have gone through the roof. Um, around 22. We're getting 12 six agains a game. Round 21, we're getting almost 14 six agains a game. That was the highest that we've had all season. So it certainly ramped up uh, and it just fluctuates all the time. And the other thing too is that the penalties have been up as well. So honestly, one of the reasons we brought in six agains to the game was because we were sold by the NRL administration and the rule makers that it was meant to speed up the game, make the game better, make it more attractive, open it up, It has done none of those things. And at the moment, we have the game going for longer than it ever has before. We have games that go for longer than ever. And on top of that, the six again was meant to replace the penalty, right? So instead of blowing a penalty, you just do a six again. In round 21, so not that long ago, a few rounds ago, we averaged almost 20 penalties slash six agains per game for the round. Now, you will never see 20 penalties a game blown going back before the six agains. Yet we are getting that at the moment because the six agains are easy for referees to hide behind and they're meant to be the same as a penalty, but they're not. 100%, if you have a look at a game, Tim, you will see six agains blown all the time, but there's no way they would have been blown as penalties. And one of the things as well as accountability for me, with the six again, there is none. You rarely see what the six again was for, 
during the pace of the game because it's continuous. You don't get to know what it's for. You don't get to understand as a player. And because of that, a referee isn't scrutinized and it's not replayed or questioned. And that happens constantly. And there isn't even reviews in the media about the six against, but it is meant to be the same as a penalty. Yet at the moment, again, to finish off on my rant, Tim, the six against and penalties combined at the moment is between 18 and 20 a game at the moment for the last month of footy. And that is through the roof and it just should not be happening. To me, it is just a balls up that the six again has gone in. It hasn't been implemented well. It's been tweaked half a dozen different times to try and fix it. At the moment, I just have to ask if games are going for so long and we still got all these stoppages all the time, what has it actually done? No, Joe, I absolutely agree, mate. It's done almost the exact opposite of what it was set out to achieve. The other thing that frustrates the hell out of me is they came in with the rule about if it happens inside your own 40 metres, then it was going to be a penalty. And then outside of that, it could be a six again or it could be a penalty. Now, nine times out of 10, they will absolutely give a six again. I understand their logic is that they want to try and speed things up. But I reckon if you ask team captains uh, whether you can have six again or a penalty, I would honestly think certainly more than 50% of the time, they would much rather prefer a penalty. Um, gives their team an opportunity to have a breather and things like that. Obviously, depends at, at which stage in the game. But look, let's you kick for goal too. You yeah, can't even kick for goal now. <laughs> that's, what I wanted, that's what I wanted to come back to. That there was, a, I can't remember specifically what the game was on the weekend, but it was, I think, two quick ones uh, inside the attacking ten metre zone, and I think they were down by two points at the time. And at which point you just go, as a captain, you would be like, mate, I don't want the six again. Give me a shot at goal. Or if, if it was a four-point margin or whatever it was, give us the shot at goal to get the four to six or the six to eight. Um, I think it's it's hard because the captain's challenge doesn't work that same way. But I'm sure if the if the ref said, mate, what do you want, six again or uh, or a penalty? I think you'd find nine times out of ten, if they're in the attacking part, they'd, they'd much rather prefer to have the penalty. Especially when it comes back to the six. Again, the whole thing with the six again they, and um what the, they don't allow them to take a quick tap or anything like it. It's just, it seems like the way that it's been adjudicated and the way that it's been pushed in is just not achieving a, a positive result, I think, in most cases for the attacking team. More holes in it than a box of Swiss cheese, honestly. There is that many things wrong with it. And even if you just look at the fact that you've got all these six agains being given because you want to speed up the game, but then at the same time you implement things like a captain's challenge that can take a couple of minutes at a time and you start to give the bunker more powers to stop the game and you do all these other things that don't speed up the game. Why did you bother for? It's not yep. it's not achieving in any way, but you're also implementing all these other rules that are counterproductive to your whole point of having a six again put in. One of the other holes in it, talking about the Swiss cheese, is that you've got... Six again given to someone playing the ball because there's an offside and then the hooker knocks it on and they just say, oh, well, it's a knock on. It's like it was a penalty a second before and you've called six again and the guy's knocked it on and now it's a turnover. But it should have been a penalty. You know, they're offside. Yeah, yeah and there's all these other intricacies you can get into, mate, but we're not going to go for it because it's going to take too long. But things like if the hooker's seeing the, the offside guys moving up, does that contribute to him knocking that ball on? Should he really have to turn it over? Why can't that be a penalty? Why can't you go for goal? It's not speeding it up anyway. There's, there's that many different things, but it just looks like a ball's up, and eventually I just think that we're going to have to just do away with it because it's just not making sense to me anymore at all. And we will never, ever see a referee blow 19, 20 penalties on average a game in the NRL over a round consistently, and that is what's happening if you combine six agains and penalties at the moment. So it is ridiculous. It is being overdone. Legend Rewind, 
finishing off on a Roosters and Broncos legend, although saying Roosters is a bit of a stretch, but since it's both of us, Tim, I'll say it. Justin Hodges, uh, pretty remarkable career. He's one of those guys for me who I don't think that he gets the props that he deserves because he was so unlikable. <laughs> it, it's unfortunate because he, he would have been the best center in the world for a couple of seasons. And he really was phenomenal because he... We've seen some great centers come through. You know, someone like Mao had enormous strength and size. Someone like Gaznia um, had great ball control, the way he could throw out a, a pass. And Gidley even is someone that could do those sort of ball skills. But how Gaznia moved as well, the speed of some of the centers that we've seen, like a Renouf, um, the, the power that we've seen. Hodges seemed to have all that in one big athletic package. He was a six foot two, 102 kilo center, had enormous power had great speed, was an enormous athlete as well, had some good ball skills, used to throw offloads all the time, and he was super aggressive. He used to get up in everyone's face, and people didn't like playing him, they didn't like tackling him, they didn't like him hitting them, and he always let them know about it. So to me, I always remember him as one of the great centres, but he always seemed to be much maligned, Tim. Yeah, look, he's, um, he's certainly one of my favourite players of all time. He, uh, what's interesting about him, he, he played for Brisbane for two seasons and then went down to the Roosters for two seasons and then uh, came back to the Broncos again. And so, look, it's um, he's oh, just amazing. He, he did everything in the game. He played all levels. He was amazing for Queensland, obviously fantastic for the Broncos, played for Australia. Uh, his stats across the board are, are actually really impressive when you have a look at him. Uh, had a win percentage across all areas of over uh, 60%, uh, 100% in World Club Challenge and Tri-Nations. Uh, Anzac Day Test, he won every Anzac Day Test that he took a part of. Um, he's just amazing. Like, he, he was such a big bloke. It, it's funny, once he turned to his boxing career, the ex-players that lined up to have a crack at him was pretty impressive. <laughs> and the people that paid to yeah, watch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it says a lot about him. You either you either loved him or you hated him or you loved to hate him. Um, so that in itself is, is something that shows how good a player he was. It's just, um, yeah, if you weren't a supporter, you just wanted to punch his face in, I can imagine. So uh, his boxing career, mind you, it hadn't lasted, it didn't last all that long. Uh, but like a lot of the NRL players, maybe they'll come back and have another crack. Yeah, look, Kodjo was awesome. Like you said, he was, he was big, he was fast. Uh, he had the skill level. He, he had a crack at um, – he did have a crack at playing fullback for a little while as well. Um, I was sort of disappointed he probably didn't get more of a crack at it. I think he – even if you looked at him now in comparison to some of our modern-day fullbacks, I think he sort of had everything that, that a fullback needs. Um, and, yeah, but he, he played unbelievably well for the Broncos for a long period of time. Uh, I know he's still heavily involved in the club or has been up until recently. So, look, he's again, comes back to, I guess, like what we were talking about before with the pain half scene. The Broncos do tend to look after their players long-term. Uh, Hodjo's been really good, obviously, with uh, since the, such a strong Indigenous focus in the um, in the NRL now, but just out in the community as well. He's still a big part of, of that sort of focus and trying to get uh, Indigenous kids more focused and uh, and giving him better pathways long-term, not just for rugby league, but I think for life in general. He's, he's been great for, for the Indigenous community. Yeah, and he's matured a lot, even towards the end of his playing career. He captained the Broncos, and a lot of people forget that. He actually was pretty well respected among the ranks and his peers, and he matured a lot in his you know final few years of footy and post-footy. He's done that as well. Came from Cairns, 
was a winger fullback at the time, ended up playing the centres, obviously. Controversy with him is that when he signed with the Roosters, Wayne Bennett, if you remember, decided that he wasn't going to play him and he ended up sitting in reserve grade, um, even though he was well and truly good enough to play. Um, they just went, nah, you're leaving, so we're not going to play you. And because of that, his first stint at the Broncos, he didn't actually play very many games. His, his year in 2000, he had five games. And then in 2001, it looked like he was going to be a staple and he only played 12 because they decided to bench him. Uh, went on to the Roosters and ended up winning a grand final in 2002, straight away his first season. And then 2003, 2004, we had the grand finals that he lost and then ultimately went back to Brisbane. Uh, won at Brisbane as well with the grand final. Ended up 251 first grade games and 99 tries. So quite a strike rate for a centre. And when you were talking about Tim, you know, all the games he's racked up for everyone else, four tries for his 13 appearances for Australia, 24 appearances for Queensland with his five tries. So he's got 300 plus first grade or first class games to his credit, Justin Hodges. And he was also someone who in 2007 won the Dallium Centre of the Year. And around that 2007 period, for a couple of years, I would have rated him as the best centre in the game. So certainly uh, was a lot better than what I think people like to remember. But then again, you know, it was even said back at the time, even some of his own teammates didn't like him, let alone the fans. So you can uh, sort of feel a bit sorry for him now post-career that maybe he's not mentioned as much as he should be. No, he's... um... He's, uh, yeah, like, it, it, like I said, mate, he's one of my favourite players ever. The, he played at all levels. Um, the things that he could do on the field, I think, is still some centres in today's standards still try to emulate. Uh, the fact that he was versatile, could play the centre, the wing, fullback, I, I think was a, a credit to him. I think at one stage, correct me if I'm wrong, he even tried to have a crack at 5'8", for, worked for about three weeks, and then they canned him straight back. Um but, yeah, I think he's just one of those players that, that was a gifted and talented footballer and, and just really wanted to be on the field and, and try to work as hard as he possibly could. Uh, certainly somebody with natural skill and ability uh, and, and had pace to burn. Yeah, a, a phenomenal career, Justin Rogers. So well done and well done on this podcast, Tim. I appreciate you coming on, Timmy O, from the NRL Supercoach Off the Bench podcast. Love chatting footy with you and we will have you on again real soon, mate. Enjoy the round. Absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you very much, All-Stars fans. And uh, if you haven't checked us out with NRL Supercoach off the bench, come and do it. Uh, we'll also be heading shortly into the BBL. We pretty much don't have any downtime. We're crazy. Uh, but that's the sport-loving guys that we are at off the bench. So if you haven't checked us out, have a listen. But thanks very much, Barnes, for having us on. Thanks, listeners. Awesome. Thank you, Tim. Well, everyone that wants to listen to us, SoundCloud, Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, we're everywhere. Jump on X, or I'm still going to call it Twitter. NRL underscore SC underscore all-stars and certainly jump on our partner, picklebet.com. Use the code all-stars as your affiliate code. They'll take great care of you. Enjoy the round of footy ahead. It's going to be an absolute cracker. Can't wait to talk all about rugby league again next week. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid.